Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Tusco. Today is the 12th day of Christmas, and if I were actually living 500 years ago in England, I'd hopefully be at the biggest party of the year right now. In Renaissance England, the entire period from Christmas Day to the Epiphany was celebrated as Christmastide. Many people in our more secular culture today don't realize that the 12 days of Christmas actually starts on December 25th, and all 12 days were a time of merrymaking and revelry in the Tudor court, and it culminated in the largest party of all on Twelfth Night. But let's go back a couple of weeks earlier. Advent, the four weeks before Christmas, was a time of fasting and meditation. People did not decorate their houses until Christmas Eve, Modern marketers hadn't begun encouraging them to shop for Christmas gifts in October yet. The celebrations actually began on Christmas Day, when there were three masses said. Everyone dressed in sumptuous new clothing, and the king especially wore his most beautiful coronation robes of scarlet or royal purple. His obligations on Christmas Day itself were mainly to attend the three masses, where the genealogy and life of Jesus Christ was sung, and everyone held lit candles. As it is today, music was an important part of Christmas. Not just the music sung in church with the masses, either. The earliest recorded collection of Christmas carols dates from 1521, and it includes the Boar's Head Carol. Other medieval Christmas songs that the Tudors would have known were the Coventry Carol and the First Noel. As far as decorations go, the Tudors did not have Christmas trees, although they were around in the 16th century. It's a Baltic and Northern German tradition, and even then, it's not recorded until around the 1520s. The first known record of a Christmas tree was in Latvia in 1510, and Latvia was part of the German territory at that point. The decorations that they would have had would have been the natural evergreens like holly and ivy and mistletoe and laurel. And people wouldn't decorate their houses until Christmas Eve, as I said, as it was thought to be unlucky to do so before. The more modern tradition of lit Christmas trees is actually said to originate from the 16th century legend of Martin Luther. Apparently, he was walking in the snow-covered woods and saw all the stars through the trees and was struck by the beauty of it. 
And so he decided to take a tree home and put candles on it. But lighting trees wasn't actually a very popular custom until the end of the 19th century. And Christmas trees themselves weren't introduced into England until the mid-1700s by King George III's wife, who was German. As I said before, the entire 12 days of Christmas were celebrated, December 25th through to January 6th. But not every day was celebrated in equal measure. All work stopped except essential work, like taking care of the animals. Spinning, which was a main occupation for women, was even banned, and flowers were placed around the spinning wheels. And people would visit their friends and their family, and it was a real community celebration. Work restarted on Plow Monday, which was the first Monday after Twelfth Night. Most of the Twelve Days were Saints' Days. The three most important were December 25th, January 1st, and January 6th which is when the best feasts were held. In 1532 and 33, the preparation for the Twelfth Night Feast at Greenwich required the building of a temporary boiling and working house. Up to 24 courses would be served, which was so much more than was needed for the guests, but it was a status symbol and all the leftover food would be given to the poor. There was a definite purpose to the Tudor Christmas. Because society was so ordered and everything was so strict, it was a bit of a vacation from all of that order. It was a time when everything was turned on its head upside down, and certain sections of society were even given an unusual degree of freedom. For example, in the ecclesiastical communities, the tradition of the boy bishop was practiced. A choir or altar boy would be elected for a short period either on December 6th, which is St. Nicholas Day, or on December 28th, which is the Holy Innocence Day. And the idea was that it showed the boys the honor and dignity of the holy orders. The boy would lead the community and carry out all of the duties of the bishop except taking Mass. And this would include preaching the sermon and going around to visit all the parishioners to sing to them along with the other choristers. This practice was banned in 1541 because it was seen as mocking the church authorities and, by implication, the head of the church, who was, of course, Henry VIII. However, the practice possibly dates back to the 10th century, and it never completely died out. The tradition is still continued at Hereford, Gloucester, Westminster, and Salisbury cathedrals to this day. There was a similar tradition in secular circles, which was the position of the Lord of Misrule. They were like a mock king and supervised all of the entertainments and unruly events of the evening that involved drinking, revelry, role reversal, and general chaos. The inspiration for the Lord of Misrule was the earlier 11th century tradition of the Feast of Fools. This tradition was not confined only to Christmas, but was also used during the summer festivities like May Day. The person would be chosen by the head of the parish, and his rule would end on Twelfth Night. Monarchs also had their own personal ruler. However, Mary and Elizabeth did not continue this tradition. Another example of role reversal, which started in the Tudor period, is that of, the, of barring out, where pupils would take possession of the school by locking the staff out until certain demands regarding playtimes and homework were met. It was particularly common in the northern counties and was usually around the 6th of December, which is St. Nicholas Day, who is the patron saint of children. 
These types of Christmas traditions are thought to date from the Roman period when servants were allowed to be the boss during the Saturnalia celebrations, which were very similar to Christmas. In fact, most of the way Tudors celebrated Christmas had its origins from the Roman festival. Another Christmas tradition was the performing of plays. There are records from the early 16th century that both Oxford and Cambridge colleges employ traveling players in their Christmas entertainments. There are also records of a play being performed for Cardinal Wolsey at Gray's Inn during Christmas 1526. Coventry Mystery Plays, which the Coventry Carol was written for, tell the story of Herod's murder of the innocents, and mystery plays are still performed in Coventry even today. The Tudors also probably practiced the Viking tradition of burning a Yule log. The log would be decorated on Christmas Eve for the 12 days of Christmas, and then it was burned, and it was considered lucky to keep some of the remains to help light the following year's log. All sports on Christmas Day were banned by Henry VIII in 1541, except archery and jousting. Interestingly, Edward VI in 1551 passed a law that everyone had to walk to church on Christmas Day, and it's actually still in force today. It was two weeks, basically, of concerted power politics and networking, as the monarch would be surrounded by courtiers, nobility, and other important people. We give gifts on Christmas Day. The Tudors gave them at New Year. Every important person was expected to give the monarch a New Year gift and to receive one in return. This was considered so important that a list of all of the gifts were kept, and that was called the gift roll. Acceptance or rejection of a gift was vital, and it often had a hidden meaning. For example, in 1532, Henry VIII accepted Anne Boleyn's gift, but rejected Catherine of Aragon's. Henry and Anne were married the following year. The women of Henry's court are listed as giving him embroidered shirts, and other craftsmen would show off their skills too. For example, the Hans Holbein painting of Edward VI was given as a Christmas gift. Another example of the meaning behind Tudor gift-giving is that of Sir Philip Sidney. He enraged Elizabeth I by suggesting that she should not marry the Roman Catholic heir to the French throne, and for New Year's that year, after he was banished for his comments, he gave her a jeweled whip to show his subjugation to her will. In 1568, Elizabeth I was given a pair of cambric sleeves by Mr. Adams, schoolmaster of the Queen's Pages. Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, was a very successful gift giver. He gave silk stockings in the first year of Elizabeth's reign, and also possibly the world's first wristwatch. From 1582, Elizabeth began to receive New Year's gifts of gold, silver, and rock crystal-handled forks. A Tudor Christmas was a time for serious eating for the royal household and the gentry. The traditional meats were swan, goose, and woodcock if they could be caught. Turkey first came in 1523, and its popularity grew. Turkeys were walked from Norfolk or Suffolk to London. The Tudors would probably also have eaten venison, and peacock, which was skinned and roasted, and then put back inside the cured skin with the feathers on as a table decoration. And they also ate wild boar, which was often the centerpiece. 
There is a long tradition of having boar's head for feasts, which is probably originating from the Anglo-Saxon tradition of sacrificing the boar for the Yuletide celebration. It would be carried into the banqueting hall on a gold or silver dish accompanied by trumpets and the songs of the minstrels and is still remembered in the well-known carol, the Boar's Head Carol. It is still known to be practiced at Queen's College in Oxford. Another common Christmas feast dish was sous, which was pickled pig's feet and ears. And then there was the Tudor Christmas pie, kind of a modern turducken, and it consisted of a pigeon inside a partridge, inside a chicken, inside a goose, inside a turkey, which was then put in a pastry case called a coffin and served surrounded by hare and other game birds. The Tudors enjoyed mince pies, but they had far more significance than today in that they had 13 ingredients to represent Jesus and the apostles. They contained fruit, raisins, currants, and prunes, and spices, cloves, and black pepper and saffron, and also mutton to represent the shepherds. The Tudors also had Christmas pudding, but this was shaped like a sausage and contained meat, oatmeal, and spices. The Twelfth Night Cake was a fruit cake baked with an item like a coin or a dried bean, and whoever found the item became the king or queen or host for the evening's entertainment. Wassailing was a common Christmas practice throughout all levels of Tudor society, and it is remembered in the many versions of the wassailing carols. Wassail derives from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning to be whole or to be of good health. It also has links to fertility rites and a drinking a toast to the fruit trees to produce a good crop. Large wooden bowls holding up to a gallon of punch would be used containing hot ale or cider, sugar, spices, and apples with a crust of bread at the bottom. One of these brews was known as lamb's wool, which was made from roasted apples, beer, nutmeg, ginger, and sugar, and the name came from the froth on the top. It was offered to the most important person in the household first, who would then drink from the bowl and pass it on. This would not seem odd to the Tudors, as drinking from a communal bowl was a normal practice. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Renaissance English History Podcast. Next time, I'll continue talking about the politics and reign of Henry VIII by introducing some of his leading advisors like Cranmer and Cromwell. In the meantime, please feel free to drop me a note or show ideas at http colon slash slash englandcast.blogspot.com. And thank you so much for listening. Blown on wind, send who may be sweating. Blow northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hote board in bower brick, that soli semli is on seat. Men's cool maiden of me, fair and freight of wonder. In all this war, flesh of one, board of blood and of bone, never yet in Houston on. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.